Hi, we are the Good Ship Illustration and we run online courses to help illustrators and image makers navigate a creative career. We are Tanya, Katie and Helen. We have about 70 years experience between us, each of us working in a different area of illustration. Welcome to Message in a Bottle, our new podcast answering your questions. You can send your messages to goodshipillo at gmail.com and title it Message in a Bottle so we know what it's about. Welcome. This Message in a Bottle episode is, it's kind of a set of interview questions. So there's some random questions for all of us, some specific questions to each of us. Um, So yeah, thank you if you sent them in and we'll just, we'll get cracking. We've got quite a naughty one to start with, haven't we? (laughs) most horrific client experience no names obviously the first one that comes to mind for me is one of the first um what's the word commissions that i ever did was i had um a folio with the back in the day when we had like a plastic black portfolio with drawings in it i had some black and white drawings in there and they were really all about the quality of the line i really liked how I held my dip pen with some sort of tension in the line and I had pictures of like washing machines and like equipment, like household equipment. This sounds and some like people. Flag. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a bizarre folio, it was, but you know, I was just out of art school and hoping for the best. And I had a call from a publisher who wanted me to do some black and white illustrations in a piece of fiction for sort of seven to 10 year olds. And they sent me the text and I read it and thought, hmm, I don't really like any of this. I'm not sure I can even draw any of this and I don't know why they've asked me. But I was so pleased to have the work that I just said yes. And then I started on it and I just couldn't do it. It was so far removed from what I'd drawn before. I just couldn't do it. There was a lot of humour. It was quite slapstick, a bit comic-y. And there were lots of like pranks that happened in the book and it felt like they should have asked somebody who does cartoony work and it wasn't me and it just felt all wrong. Anyway, I managed like pulling teeth to do some drawings, sent them off and I remember the editor or art director rang me up and accused me of stealing somebody else's folio that the folio that she'd seen actually wasn't mine. Because the work was so different. The work was so different because it was so painful and difficult to do and so far removed from anything that I had in my folio that she accused me that the folio wasn't mine and took the project off me. Oh, it was terrible. It was awful. I was so upset. Because I I hadn't stolen anybody's folio, but it was mismatching me with a bad project. Like, the project of me did not fit. There was no way that I could have taken the work that was in my folio and made it fit this story. Oh, I think so many of mm. your experiences when you're first out of college are so weird like yeah. that. And also, you're scared to death. You're like a rabbit in the headlights and, and equally say, who do you want me to be? I'll be whatever you want me to be. And you're grateful for anything. Yeah. It's like totally. a job. Cool. They're really valuable learning experiences though, aren't they? Because now, yeah. like after that, I thought if I'm ever sent a text that I feel like I can't do, I'll just say no. Yes. Because you know the pain. Yes. It was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I started thinking of some, and there, I've, there are lots of early, early day <laughs> horrific client experiences and bizarre jobs. And I, like, they're, they're barely worth going through. But I would say my biggest takeaway from thinking about all of that is don't work for anyone who's not in the industry. And unless you're working with an experienced art director or a marketing team or someone who's at least used to briefing illustrators, they understand the design process and um, they know how to commission effectively. Once you're outside of that, 
you're in the wild, wild west and everything can go wrong. So things like your friend saying, I've got a great children's book in mind, would you illustrate it for me, is a big no-no. A, because economic, you know, from a commercial point of view, publishers don't want someone's story with illustrations. They don't need it. So you can tell your friend, just submit the manuscript, you don't need me. And it's no point in paying me like peanuts for a few illustrations because you'll get upset. One of the worst things that happened to a student of mine was she insisted being broke in Hong Kong, she wanted to illustrate someone's story for her final year project because she needed the money to get through the end of the course. And I said to her, it's a really bad idea. Please don't do this. And she said, I've got no option. So I'm going to illustrate this book about another woman, uh, this woman in the US, it's her dog. So the woman's writing a story about her favorite dog. Of course, my friend, the student is going to depict the dog wrongly and she'll have the author telling her how to draw it and changing all her work. And this is her final year degree show. So all her work was compromised, A, because she financially needed the money and B, because she was art directed by a writer who had no visual sensibility at all. And it broke my heart because it you know, changed her, her, degree show, her degree mark and there, there was nothing we could do about it. I should have just told her no. From the very beginning. That is a big problem with working people who are not used to commissioning or people with no kind of uh, illustration background or mm. artistic eyes. They can tell you some really bizarre things that you just know will not work. Mm. You know, can I have it in lime green? Yeah. You're like, no, no, I'll be ill if I make it in lime green. <laughs> yeah. But it's, if you're working with people who are used to commissioning people and good art directors, who are good art. they're going to trust you or they're going to have a good eye to help you. And you'll, you'll avoid that thing where you send some work and then the feedback, you can clearly see they've just showed everybody in the office and you get 12 bullet points of random feedback where people just felt like they have to say something to keep exactly. their job. Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> Which also covers that thing of if you're working with someone you haven't worked before with before, especially if it's a group or a charity or a body, you have to say to them, we need one person on this job. I don't want to be answerable to a panel of people's different decisions. So always ask, how many people are you answerable to? Who will you get the, the feedback off? Because yeah. that's the worst thing, isn't it? It's, it's not good. Ask everyone in the office what they think. And that, that, actually, that was what happened with one of my recent nightmare clients. No names, but it was last year. And it was a, a project that sort of dragged on and dragged on. And it was an agency. And then they were working with a client. So... The agency would give me feedback before they'd even showed it to their client and then they would show the work to the client and the client would have changes that basically took it back to what it was before the agency had given feedback. Anyway, it was an absolute nightmare and it went on for months and then they were trying to, they sent me stressful emails during my honeymoon and then it went on and on and it got to a point where I was just like, look, the what we originally agreed and what I've done, I've done like double the work for half the money sort of thing and then I just had to say, this is the final art, like, I'm done now. If you need to carry on and do more changes, that's your prerogative. I can find help you find another team of illustrators and animators, but it's not going to be me. Um, and actually, the animator that I was working with said to me, like, oh, I can't do this anymore as well. So I had to find another animator to, like, finish. Oh, it was, it was just so stressful. I was like, this is not my life. Um, and and yeah, when I did finally finish that working relationship, I felt so much better because it was really just eating away at my brain when I wasn't working on it and yeah, I dreaded checking my emails. And then when I did check them, there always was a stressful email where it was like, this is really urgent. You have to do this right now. And like, if it was that urgent, it wouldn't have taken five months. <laughs> it's like... Totally. And I think for younger illustrators who have... We don't have client management skills, naturally. 
we learn it on the job and it can take a long, long while to figure out we are not at fault. They are asking too much. And as you said, it's gone beyond the scope of the project. So that's why it's always important when you're briefed to write down what you've just been briefed to do and give that back to your client and get them to agree it and sign it off and say, that is the job as we understand it. Um, We're ready to sign off. Because anything outside of the scope of that project needs to be charged for. So you have to know the boundaries. And also remember, you can sack the client. As long as you wouldn't be liable um, in terms of any contract that you've agreed, I think you can walk away from projects and you can negotiate that with the client. But it took me a long, long time till I said to a client, I can't do this anymore. And it's scary to do that, especially if you're a freelancer, you're self-employed, saying no to things, you're like, oh. But it was the most liberating thing <laughs> I had ever done. Yes. When I realised it was doable, I started telling other friends, oh, sack the client. Yeah. You're moaning, not happy, sack the client. <laughs> the next question is about favourite subject to draw. Do you have favourite subjects to draw? I do like drawing small children. <laughs> I don't do it in my actual work now, but like drawing small children and nice buildings with lots of like twiddly bits. Really enjoying well done. Every time I tried to draw a building with twiddly bits, like I did initially, I kept getting overwhelmed. I couldn't oh. draw a straight line anymore. <laughs> well, what about you? Um, I like people, drawing people. I didn't think I did like drawing people and I didn't think it was part of my work, but now it seems to be the mainstay. So I'm glad I like drawing that. And I like drawing plants and flowers, which I don't get commissioned for. So that I love your trees in your recent project. Yeah. Those trees, the orange and black trees. In the map. Yeah. No, the... in the in the book. Oh yes. Mm. Oh yeah. In the brochure for mm. the. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm. Trees. I mm. did draw some plants. Yeah, they're lovely. Commercially. Oh, thank you. Mm. What about you? Um, I don't really think I have a favourite thing to draw, but there are things that I always think I never want to draw that. So, like most of my career, if anybody offered me anything to do with pirates, it was a no. <laughs> but actually, I was sent recently a really brilliant um, text that happens to have pirates in it, but it's incredibly moving, just the most beautiful story that there is no way that I could say no to. So, I thought. I just have to get my head round. How do I draw pirates? I need to find a way of doing them that's my way and feels all right. Mm. And a pirate ship. And actually, I'm really, really glad I did. And it was it's really rewarding when you think that is not my area. I can't do it. To actually have a go and see how you do it in your voice. And I, sometimes drawing something makes me really appreciate that thing. You know, you think something's ugly and you don't want to draw it and then you find the beauty in it. I appreciate pirates mm. now. I appreciate pirates <laughs> and pirate ships. Yeah. Is that the little boy that you drew in the book with the pup? he got a yes. paper cut pirate hat on? Yeah. Like a handmade child costume pirate. Yeah, I made I made the main pirate wear a paper boat hat. That's important. And then the pirates, I sort of thought about people I know and drew... So I thought about people I know and made... One of them is based on um, Daisy May Cooper, the oh, comedian. Wow. <laughs> because I just thought, what does she look like in a pirate costume? So I drew her in a pirate costume and she's standing like I imagined she would. I love her. Yeah, is that, that really uh, helped me. Is that a Jarvisy thing? Do you remember when Jarvis talked about in the picture books... His oh. characters, like he gives them a voice like Prince oh, yeah. Charles to know what the lion would be like. Do you know, I never thought about that, but I suppose I did do a bit of that. Yeah. That's such yeah. a cool idea. Making, well, we all love yeah. Daisy May Cooper. She's amazing, isn't she? Maybe we could get her on the podcast if she ever fancy <laughs> drawing. Come to our club and then come on the podcast with us. Um, Favourite snack and subject combination? <laughs> 
I think I was thinking about drawing buildings here, but I've carried on with the theme of gelato in one hand and drawing Italian streets with the other hand. Oh, heaven. It's a good combination. Yeah. No, I just think it'll be uh, pork pie jammed in my mouth while I'm trying to finish a deadline and not, <laughs> not take lunch. <laughs> Sorry, that's a really negative one. <laughs> Don't leave the screen. Pork pie is Chris. <laughs> Mine's hot chocolate. So every day I start work. And I give myself like jobs that I want doing by middle of the morning. And if I get them done, I have, well, regardless of whether I get them done or not, actually, <laughs> I have a hot chocolate, but a really, really bitter hot chocolate, you know, like a, a cacao hot yeah. chocolate, yeah, it's good very to tiny your... amount of sugar in it. So it's really bitter. Your hot chocolate is <gasps> special. I love chocolate. that. It's like Nordic hot chocolate or something. Uh, it's Helen's hot chocolate. It's Helen's hot chocolate. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's good self-care and motivation all rolled Oh, it really one. does make... Also, every morning, I do some sort of keep fit and there is no way that I'm allowed that hot chocolate until I've done that. <gasps> really? Oh, it's so good. Oh, what a They'll wake up to your brain. Mm. Oh, I feel so much better when I've done some exercise. Yeah. I feel capable of doing my to-do list. And Actually, that, that yeah. was the nice thing about having my studio space was walking to the studio. Yeah. I get so much... I feel happier. Yeah. I get so much more done and it's just a downhill walk. I do think that as illustrators we neglect that area like I'm 50 now and I have to say till I was about 45 I completely neglected looking after myself physically I mean I, don't, I was never like crazy you know in McDonald's every day or anything like that but I didn't really do very much exercise although I lived in cities and never had a car and walked a lot carried on my shopping home but in the last few years I've really realized that if I do stuff to keep fit, I feel mentally better and all of my work feels easier and better and I feel like I can do it. Yeah. Will you phone me up every morning and just tell me? As <laughs> well, I'm accountable. <laughs> <laughs> I know I should do it and I think about it every night. And tomorrow, mm. I'm going to run the walls of Barry. I'll just maybe walk around them quite fast and then I'll come start work. But in the morning, I wake up and I look at my diary and I become so obsessed by what I have to do. Mm. But I think, no, just get on with work. You can do that Do that walk later. And of course it never happens. I think as illustrators, it's easy to become a brain with a hand. Yeah. And you're just like, i got to draw the pictures and sit down and do the things and think the thoughts. Also, when I do yeah. that, and I remember in those years doing that, I would get very stuck on specific illustrations and drive myself nuts and do it 20 times and hate yeah. it. And be in a rut and like... Frida would come home from school and I'd been at my desk all day and I'd be grumpy with a cloud oh, over me and my illustration wasn't period, working. Yeah. Um, and I feel as if doing some exercise in the morning, actually, I don't really have that happen anymore. That's good. Because I, I don't know why. It's a psychological thing, isn't it? You just feel a bit better and that like you can yeah. handle stuff. And also, if I do get stuck with a problem now, I, I get Peggy and we go for a walk on the beach. All and I problems. Come back and... It works out. I find driving the car, going for a walk, I can mm. solve problems. I know that to be true. I don't know why I don't do it more often. Mm. Change your scenery. Mm. Morrison's Cafe for me is better. <laughs> <laughs> if I go to Morrison's, if I can't do something, I go to Morrison's Cafe and it's easy. Is that the, is that the key? Yep. Right. Okay. Because they don't have Wi-Fi. Yeah. I don't get 4G. Yeah. The table's a bit sticky. <laughs> so I don't enjoy myself too much. <laughs> this is so specific. Yeah. And the coffee's like a pound. <laughs> that sounds like my leisure centre fix. Yeah. Because I really, really love going to solve stuff at the leisure centre because... It's really warm. Otherwise, if you're in a swimming costume, you get cold. So the heat is intense, sweating. It's kind of humid. That seems to help. Also, there's that lovely noise of all the kids splashing about in the pool. It's like a lovely 
white noise. I like that noise, yeah. that echoey spatial noise. That helps me. It helps me write when I'm trying to write a story. I feel like I can go into a bit of a trance yeah. in the Leisure Centre Cafe. <laughs> Horses for courses. I love it that you, other people would say, I would book a retreat in Italy. Oh, I would be writing. terrible on a retreat in Italy. <laughs> I'd be stressed because I wasn't at home. I'd be yeah. feeling a bit sick because other people might be doing better than I was doing. No, that's, <laughs> that is really not good. IKEA cafe works as well. If you oh, does it? But it's quite far. <laughs> You've got to be really invested. But this jumps to that next question. We've half answered it. Someone said, what's the musical accompaniment best suits your illustrations or which sound effects? Mm. So... I like lo-fi beats or like white noise backgroundy because music's great for walking or like making myself move. But if I'm sitting down drawing or listening, concentrating, I can't have mm. same music. I agree. So I don't like music to draw or write to because it changes my mood. It might not be the mood of the illustration. Oh, I find it too intrusive. Mm. So I really like. Um, it's probably it's similar to you, really. It's background kind of white noise, and I really like the Chris Watson sound recordings of nature and there's one in particular of holy island which is basically the noise that we can hear outside of our windows now i should <laughs> open my window, window. <laughs> yeah. why do that when you can get it through, through spotify <laughs> yeah because you'd have to put two dressing gowns on because it'd be so cold to listen to the it's birds. true it's true yeah practicality <laughs> uh, so yeah chris watson on also that brilliant harry hill podcast called noise so he records the noise of whatever he's doing that day. So if he's just working in his office, you can just hear him like typing on his computer. Maybe his dog stretches a bit. There's noise outside the window, cars going past. Then at some point, and you don't know when, he's going to make a noise. And it might be like a he blows a raspberry or he shouts something. And then as soon as he said the, said the noise, he says, well, that was the noise. The noise is finished. There won't be another noise. If you want to listen to the end, you're welcome. And then there's just another half hour of Harry... Driving somewhere or amazing. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's really good. So niche. I feel like there's somebody in the office working yeah, exactly. with me. Exactly. That's like rent mm. a studio partner. Mm. Maybe other public figures that you like could record podcasts of them pootling around. It, as long as it came with a certificate of authenticity and there was a picture of them in that space and they just didn't outsource it to someone else. <laughs> Would that let you down? Yeah. And you didn't, yeah. If I find out that was not Harry, I'd be really, really disappointed. It just wouldn't be the same. No. It's a genius idea. I, I listened to this um, sleep uh, thing the other, other night and this guy goes and does field recordings in different places. And it was supposed to make me sleep, but it ended up making me describe the whole scene. But it was so imaginative. He, he, he said it was an Estonian choir rehearsing in a forest. So it sounded as though you were, you were sitting in a flat from a distance. You could hear voices drifting across a forest mm. quite far away, but you could hear them singing and rehearsing. Then you start thinking, oh, are they pine trees or conifers or is it in an oak forest? Are they rehearsing in a little white clapperboard church? What does it look like? But that was quite nice as a, maybe an imagination thing if you wanted to Sounds be... Sounds amazing. Yeah. It's called uh, Jamie Duran. Duran? I've never heard of him. He's probably famous. And he introduces it with a bit of a description and he has lots of different kind of soundscapes. So you could use it as a way to trigger imaginations for drawings. Like You could draw from sounds like that mm. if you're given some context. We did that at art school once, I remember. Did Were you there, Tanya? You didn't come to Uist, did you? Did you yeah, come I did. Uist? Yes. I don't think you were on my Uist trip. There were two Uist trips with yeah. Zane. Yeah, but yeah. I don't think you were on the one I was on. Maybe not. 
Anyway, at one point, Zane took us out and we, it was the middle of the night, pitch black, like midnight or something. So cool. We all have to go across yeah. the fields to the sand dunes, sit in the sand dunes. He split us all up so we couldn't see each other. So you just sat in the pitch black, no street lights because we're on a Hebridean island. And you could hear seabirds like suddenly taking fright and lifting off the sea and flying into the air and stuff. You had to draw it. Wow. And he said the spirits would lead you to the right thing from your pencil yeah, case. I always remember that. I sat there in tears. Just It was so scary. Oh. Because what we didn't know is that he was down in the bottom of the sand dunes with a rope spinning it to make this... Oh, no. no. <laughs> it was really scary, really, really terrifying. I sat there crying. But I made some drawings that I just really, really love. I've still got them now. I have to dig them out. That's drawings of birds taking off from the sea, but they're just little... They're drawings of sounds with me feeling intense fear. The <laughs> <laughs> get uncomfortable thing taken to the it degree. I love those drawings. They're some of my favourite drawings. They're that lovely. was really special. That, that yeah. happened over two or three years that the head of department, our Mick, got his friend Zane, who's almost like, well, he was like a shaman, and took he us out. He was a Navajo Geordie. Really? <laughs> That's what he was, isn't title. it? He was a Navajo, his heritage was Navajo Indian. Was he actually? Navajo descent, whatever the words is, words are. Yeah. But I think but, what but he was adopted and brought up in Newcastle. I think so. But you look mm. at how colleges and schools work now. I don't know whether you'd ever be allowed to say this is a valuable experience for illustrators. We're going to go to a Hebridean island and we're going to do a lot of personal self-development the risk stuff assessment in nature. For going out he there. made us walk through a lake. <laughs> so he started to walk through over the Hebridean island. He's marching in front. We're all following one by one behind with backpacks on. We're all just walking. Wherever he goes, we're walking like ducklings behind him. And he's walking towards the lake and he's walking towards the lake and towards the lake. And then in the lake, and then walking through the lake, and none of us asked any questions. We were just like, right, <laughs> through we're the lake, all walking we're through the lake. <laughs> so you can see what made Helen Stevens <laughs> the illustrator she is today. Too compliant. That's what happens at art school. <laughs> a Glasgow art school special. Oh dear. I, do you not like? I like a podcast to work to when you get to a certain stage where you're not thinking in words or concept. Mm. And you know, there's just a lot of draw. Maybe it's colour work or a bit of the grunt work section of it. You can get into a good book then. Oh, yeah. 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 And you can listen to people chatting in the background. Yeah. yeah. The Radio 4. I don't know. Every illustrator listens to Radio 4, don't they? So the next question is Can you think of a time when you went against someone's advice and how it turned out, good or bad? Yeah. And the first one that comes to mind for me was. High school, when you finish your GCSEs in the UK, you choose your A-levels. Well, you choose them a little bit before, but I chose music. It was popular music performance is what I was going to do because I wanted to be a guitarist. And I also did art and uh, photography and German. I just did what was fun, basically. But the head teacher called me in for a meeting um, because he's, and he was like, basically told me off for my choices. And he was like, you're wasting your brain. You're very academic. Like you could do, you could just do these things as hobbies. They're very nice, do them as hobbies, but like pick a proper subject um, to study next. Uh, I was like 15, 16 years old, so I was like, no, <laughs> I will be ignoring you. Um, Why are you like that, that age, Katie? Yeah, I think at that point Good. I was like, I like playing guitar. I don't want to be. <laughs> Good for you. I don't want to do something yeah. real and proper. <laughs> In both <laughs> commas. Yeah. yeah. But you knew what you wanted even at that, that age. Well, I didn't. I just wanted to do nice things that I liked. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't imagine writing essays and having and look how it turned out. 
go there and there. <laughs> Does he still talking. live in Berwick? Can we go and speak no, to him? No, he's moved away. <laughs> Mr. Quinlan. <laughs> sure he meant well. I'm always going against my, my own initial advice. I'm, and it happens every time in a project. And each time I think, oh, it won't happen this time. This is a brilliant idea. And I'm going to tell the client, this is how we're going to do it because this will work so well. And halfway through doing that, I think, no, I've had a much better idea. This is going to be so much better. And I have to go back to them and say, you know that thing I really sold on, sold you as an idea? I've completely changed my mind. So, um, yeah, I go against myself quite regularly. I understand that, though, because I think sometimes at the beginning of a project, you think you know where it's going to go. Yeah. And then as soon as you actually start on it, you realise there's either a more interesting avenue or actually that one's not good. It seemed like the obvious answer, but it's not going to work. Yeah. So I can see why. You have a plan in your head and you want to tell them, yep, yeah, I know what I'm doing. It's going like this. <laughs> and, but and also, then, if it's like a two-week project, you, you think, I don't want to mess around too long because yeah. I, I know what it is. Here's the idea. And often your first ideas aren't your best at all. Once you get into that creative process of conceptualising things and drawing things and thinking about other ideas, your brain just starts cross-referencing as it should in any act of creativity. And suddenly you've discovered a way better way of doing it. So, yeah, don't always hang on solidly to your first ideas. I, think mm. that's what... I, I find that with picture books. Sometimes I have an image in my head that's so strong and I so desperately want to do it. It triggers the whole idea for the whole book. But then when I've got the idea for the book, I realise that that initial image won't fit anywhere. But that's all right, because it's now a book. But the original thing that started it doesn't even make it to the final book. Yeah, often hopelessly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You say, you say, Katie, and I really like this piece of advice because it works in life, in everything. Don't squeeze the bar of soap too tight. Yes, it work. It's Mm. true for everything. Like know it, try, but like don't try so hard that you can't breathe. Yeah, and it's like if you if you have one idea and you hold on to it too tightly, then you're disappointed Mm. by anything different Mm. from that. Yeah, you could be mean to yourself. But what about you? What's the advice that you uh, give? So when I was doing my foundation course, we were all chatting about what art schools we were going to apply to. I didn't really know where I was going to apply to. But one of the tutors said to me and a friend, don't apply to Glasgow School of Art because they only take the creme de la creme. And I thought, <laughs> do, do they? Anyway. Do they? Well, I'd better apply there then. <laughs> and so that. I did. And thank God I did because Tanya was my tutor. <laughs> yeah. and I so it worked te- out brilliantly. <laughs> yeah, and I can testify. You were, you know, you were top dollar there. Oh. You came in. You came out as a great student. So what rubbish they told you. I wonder if it was reverse psychology. If it wasn't no. worked. <laughs> it worked <laughs> really well. Hook, line and sinker. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you think that most people in the creative industry get there as a result of not being... They don't like being told what to do anyway. And that's probably why we're here in the first place. Because I was trying to think of what's, you think of the question genuinely, what advice have you received that you, I'm like, I ignore everyone's advice. (laughs) You don't listen to advice. (laughs) When did did I last hear any advice? I'm sure that's a kind of bullshit attitude, isn't it? Especially you. I feel like I hate advice. Even when in the long term, I know it was good. (laughs) But like if somebody tells me something, immediately I'm like, reject it. (laughs) And then I'll live with it for a bit. And I'm like, yeah, actually, they were right. It's a really good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we've got some other longer questions here. There's the favourite illustrating outfit. Yes, I'll do that one. Yeah. 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 How do you feel most illustrating? What's your favourite illustration? Well, outfit? how many of us have got striker tops on? You have, yeah. Katie. Tick, I have. I've got one hiding underneath. It's <laughs> so the full all wearing stripes. Yeah. <laughs> Every but time. We're always in stripes. We never 
gather together without stripage somewhere on us. I know. Not on always, purpose either. Always. No. It's just stinky. But for me, like the magic piece of uh, art attire is my <laughs> 10 pounds dressing gown from New Look that my daughter bought me 10 years ago. Amazing. It's amazing. It's made of like synthetic fibres that give you electric shocks. <laughs> <laughs> the elbows are worn completely shiny. They're going to go through and be whole soon. But it's brilliant. I wear it over my clothes in the winter. I feel like it's the ma it's the magic ingredient without my dressing gown over my clothes. I can't illustrate. Do you ever loan it out? I, I could hire it out. Could <laughs> Do you want to try it? I'm fascinated. Honestly, if I come over, I'll illustrate you when I'm wearing it. I can imagine if I wore it, like the sleeves would be up here. It'd be really small. And I'd be like, I can't feel the magic yet. It's <laughs> coming. In the meantime, I've thought, as I wear a dressing gown almost every day, I'm going to buy some really nice ones. So I've tried like really nice heavy men's dressing gowns from Marks and Spencers. Ooh, I've tried really nice long toweling dressing gowns. No, it doesn't do it. <laughs> what do you do with all the spare dressing gowns? <laughs> Actually, I took one to charity shop the other day. <laughs> just didn't have that illustration <laughs> magic. You need to contact New <laughs> I need to get New Look to make me some more. Yeah, it's amazing, honestly. It's amazing, R but really unglamorous, obviously. Like, <laughs> it's really bad, but yeah. I I, whatever I can get into the studio quick, quickly with is usually this dress. I like a chore dress. And if I didn't, I was thinking, as a digital illustrator, you don't need to wear anything special because you're not going to get messy. But I would like to wear some Dickies overalls covered in paint like one of those macho male artists, oh, yeah. like Mark Rothko. I rub all the paint on my knees and thighs. I would love that. You know, like on Pinterest, when you type in art studio, and it's like got high ceilings and big yeah. windows and canvases and stuff. That dress would look amazing. It would yeah. paint on over it. Should right. I just let yeah. the paint happen? Next time me and Katie will come round and we'll paint you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like a, I love it when Britta goes up the high street. She wears her duster paint coat and it's properly got paint on it. If she's rushing up to post a painting, she's like a picture of a real artist. <laughs> if you Google what does an artist look like, yeah. it looks like Britta. What do you wear, Katie? There's nothing specific, but I wear a lot of stripes by accident. But then the yellow things are magic. So if I've got to like go out and do something in front of people, I just wear yellow. So what is it about the yellow then? I think it just makes me really happy. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I love this colour. <laughs> but you know what's so cool? You're always in yellow or mustard. So if there's any photos taken of you at events and you put they them on match. your website, yes. your whole website, you're branded throughout. And my website's got yellow on it as well. Yeah, exactly. It's not by accident, so it's good. Feel. All ties together. Such a strategy. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, so there's some questions for each of us now, starting with Tanya. Tanya, the first question for you is, have you ever pitched your work to an art director or was it always the other way around? I, well, I think in the beginning, the word was with God. <laughs> in, in the beginning, in the 90s, you did have to go and see art directors. That's not true now. You can you can be picked out in from the with, with good work and some decent self-marketing on Instagram. You can be picked out without having to do this. But yeah, I, I went round lots of art directors and stood there like a prawn while they flipped through my book. And you think, you know, the whole time you feel like, am I good enough? Will they, you know, it does put you in a It's horrible standing yeah. beside somebody in silence while they look through your work and say nothing. God, it's horrible. Do you oh, love me? When Is you start okay? flipping through it and you stay on a page for too long and you can see them like... 
oh, let me turn the pages because I'm in a hurry. <laughs> you know, all those kind of the different relationships that you have with an art director when you stand in their show in the portfolio. Um, yeah, so I saw lots of art directors in London and then in Hong Kong. I had to do it as well. But it was different there because they had no design agencies and no magazines with not English language magazines. They didn't have any budget. So I'd go to advertising agencies, which in London, you never got into see advertising agencies. You wouldn't go into see Saatchi and Saatchi or whatever. Um, I can't remember all the names now. But you'd have to have an agent to get you in there. But in Hong Kong, really, they were they were the main art industry. Um, and then later on, you get called in, which is nice. It's much nice to be called in to show your portfolio. Is that because they knew you by then? Yeah, that's, yeah, and you leave your cards and you send your cards out. And you definitely feel you're not on the back foot by pleading with an art director to spare some time to look. They want to see it. Um, and then after that, don't go out at all. You just have a good website. So all younger illustrators who don't have to go through the chore of showing their portfolio. But what was weird, I was speaking to Jill Calder and she said with her agent, they still have a printed portfolio. Do you remember we were talking the other day and saying that the real portfolio is redundant because everyone's got a website, but certain agents, and I guess it's because the agents like to go and take the book to the client and you make your own book. So Jill has a a large hand-bound leather book with printed pages in it. And of course, when the work uh, renews, you've got to renew the whole, you know, physical book. What a palaver. I'm just thinking when I was last at the Bologna Book Fair in the agents section, yeah. all of the agents are at desks like at school, lined up in this huge room. Oh, yeah. And all of them have got a proper portfolio that they show I'd people's work. Forgotten yeah, about that. I've yeah. forgotten about that as well. My agent has a proper plastic black portfolio that they've printed out of your mm. work yeah and didn't we say about two podcasts ago no nobody yes. has portfolios well, I don't have a portfolio, though, no. but the agent yeah. does i suppose for that bit of the industry agents yeah. need physical copies yeah. sent out anyway yeah. yeah but how much longer exactly mm. a good website katie's lessons on it on search engine optimization yeah and you won't you don't have to go out mm. to clients anymore i mean obviously you can still write to um clients and agents like the other day i found a nice agent in china Sunday morning, I thought I'd just say, oh, do you want to see having a look at my website? Anyway, they haven't replied yet. <laughs> <laughs> There's another question here for you, Tanya. It says, you mentioned you live in Hong Kong and created lovely maps and murals. How did you get that work? Is this your dream work? Um, the, the maps I got when I worked at the South China Morning Post and I had a regular week, weekly job with them and the, the food and wine lady said, oh, we need some maps for the wine articles, which was a great idea. And I just did loads of maps in it. It was the mid-90s. There weren't many other mappers around, and I taught myself to do it. It was really difficult to research because it was early internet days, and you could, there was no Google Maps. So anyway, but that was a, that was how I started doing it. And murals and other things. We, I would just get approached by, uh, I can't think of the right word, like property developers, people who owned the shopping centres and things like that. And... Uh, that was really exciting and technically I had to learn how to create digital images that would scale up and not lose um, any resolution so there was a lot of work on Illustrator that I wasn't that familiar with because I really wanted to avoid painting them and people always want you to paint murals but it's a lot of work isn't it Katie drawing things large especially it's tiring (laughs) physically like exhausting so that was how that came about um and Katie, I, there's a question for you here. 
I heard in an interview that you are also an introvert. How does knowing this about yourself help navigate your career choices and also get you lots of work that you love? Yeah, I feel like anything you do to like get to know yourself better benefits your work and your life because you can you know what comes easily to you, you know what gives you energy. And it's the same as when we were talking earlier about like the lessons you learn with like nightmare clients and stuff. Mm. You learn from each one of those and then the other things you learn, like whether you're an introvert or not, that really helps. So like for me, I know that I need lots of downtime and it's not that I hate people or anything. Or like I'm an, a hermit that doesn't speak to anyone. <laughs> she likes us. Yeah, I like these two. <laughs> but like I can be in a room full of people and chat to everyone and I'm not completely weird. But afterwards I need a lot of like recovery time and I'm exhausted for... When I used to just do in-person in events, it would take like three days after one event to feel better. Um, I need naps every day, pretty much. Very clear deadlines. Live event pressure really helps me to get my work done. Um, and I really just can't be bothered with small talk. I don't know if that's an introvert thing or if you're just like, life's too short, I don't care. Like, <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Like, I was like, oh, God. No, <laughs> no I don't think I'm in agreement like with them. Yeah. Like, oh, it's boring. I really like people where it cuts to the chase, you're straight into the nitty-gritty of life without small mm. talk. Yeah. I much, can't do it. Much more interesting. And also, I love talking about like goals and business stuff and feelings and... Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like, mm. Um, and you, but you can work intensely, can't you? What you do is really demanding. And if you're doing three hours, every minute in those three hours, you're completely engaged. Aren't you? you don't kind of vague out like I do at my desk because yeah. you've got to illustrate what's happening as it's happening in the moment. Definitely. And that's the nice thing about live illustration, discovering for me that I can work in that way for three hours really solidly and work the whole time. Whereas if I had three hours to draw one tiny illustration... I would procrastinate and faff and yeah. it would expand to fill the whole time and I'd beat myself up the whole way through. So it's just a nice way of working. Isn't it like performance as well, though, that you wouldn't, an actor or a musician could perform for three hours and then they'd be exhausted, wouldn't they? Because yeah. that's what you're doing. Yeah, and like knowing people are watching makes it much easier for me because it's like <laughs> stress. <laughs> I think it's a nice healthy level of stress that makes me do the job. That, that could be the key to my, my procrastination. <laughs> but a lot of people are like, that sounds like my worst nightmare. Yeah. Someone just watching me draw. And I'm like, that mind. It's, that's the, that's, it's the same as art club. Yeah. And it's really helpful, isn't it? To get over those inhibitions of, you do a drawing, it might not go well. You do another one, it might go well. Yeah. And it, it doesn't really matter. Because you could do like a million drawings in your life and half a million or more are going to be bad. I'm not talking about you specifically. Like, I mean, me everyone. as well. <laughs> Everybody. Um, it's really nice to get over those inhibitions and just say, yeah, loads of drawings are doing rubbish. Yeah. And own it. And once yeah, you get stuck in hmm? and you feel confident, you work usually fine anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And under the pressure of that, I can imagine under that pressure, you actually do, you're like firing really fast and you're yeah. listening and, and you're drawing at the same time. It's almost like the bigger the client, the slightly more scared I am, the yeah. better my work gets. <laughs> I'm like, it has to be really good. It's very intense, isn't it? I mm. love I don't know whether I could do that. So it's brilliant. I couldn't do that, but you could. Mm -hmm. And what you do, you've figured out works for yourself and you've authored your own career rather than, as you said before, going nine to five, five days a week to an office. Oh, yeah. And that was the other thing. I've tried working in an office and it doesn't... I don't like having a boss. I don't like being stuck in an office for however many hours it mm -hmm. is. Yeah, it's rubbish. You can take control if you're prepared to live yes. on peanuts occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone else said... You spoke, this is the stuff you like, Katie. 
You spoke about search engine optimization, SEO for your website. Could you share your experience with it? And if you have any tips? Yeah, I've got to be careful because I could talk for hours <laughs> going to full on nerd mode. But the most basic SEO tip is to just write words on your website. And the words can be renaming your images so that it makes sense. And like name your images as if you're describing them. Like what's in the image? What is it of? It's an illustration. Um, and you can also use things like your geographical location. So if you're an illustrator in Edinburgh, for instance, like Edinburgh Illustrator, Joe Blogs, drawing our dog on street. And then like, you just never know what people are going to search for and you'll, you'll pop up. But the really important thing is to actually help give Google a clue of what you're on about. Um, and if you're really feeling excited about search engines, you can start writing blog posts, make your about page really descriptive. Any other places you can jam words in like alt text and metadata, it's all, and it, that makes your website more accessible as well. Um, and I think with most websites now, it's really easy to do, to like go through and add those things. But I'll stop there because some people will be like, this is so boring. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I can't <laughs> wait till we, we're going to do the business course and get Katie to talk lots about SEO because I need to do it as well. So I'm going to get my free lesson off you. It's, it's really, yeah, it's boring, but it's really exciting when it works. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, there's a question for you. Um, would you say there's room for everyone in the picture book world if we wanted to publish through a publisher? In these times, yes. i.e., not self publish. Yeah. Yes, there's definitely room for everybody. If you've ever been to the Bologna Book Fair, where all the publishers arrive every year in spring, they all arrive with their books and they sell co editions of foreign language editions to each other. So they all sell all of their books all over the world. Um, it is huge. There are publishers from everywhere. There are hundreds, I wish I knew how many publishers there are, hundreds of them. There's no way you could see the whole exhibition centre in one day. You'd need a little golf cart to take you around it all. But it's amazing. And the, and the variety of stuff published all over the world as well. It's the, I mean, no matter what your work is, there is somewhere that is publishing your work. Like, for example, <clears throat> I really like going and finding books that are published in, in the countries that are really culturally different to our own. And one year I went to the Korean stand and they had this, had this book that I picked up and... Um, it, it has just never left my mind. It was so brilliant. So it was about a boy who wanted to get some tigers and he had a dog. So he tied a piece of string to his dog's tail and he sent his dog out into the jungle so that a tiger would eat it. So the first tiger eats the dog and then the dog comes out. It gets pooed out of the tiger. So now the tiger's got a piece of rope going through the tiger, out of the back <laughs> of the tiger to the dog, tied to the dog's tail. Another tiger eats the dog, poos it out. Another tiger, so now there's five tigers and on the end there's a dog. And the dog runs home, so now the little boy's got five tigers and a dog on a roll. <laughs> and this is like a fever dream. It's incredible. And then the, the happy ending is he kills all the tigers and he makes them into rugs and curtains for his house. <laughs> That's so screwed up. That is crazy. It would certainly wouldn't fly. Get out of the office now. <laughs> it's amazing. And the variety of books and the different artwork all over the world is incredible. It's really interesting seeing how different publishers react to different work. So in France, there's really, really sophisticated, beautiful work that definitely when I started out in publishing in the 90s. British publishers would have looked at 
some of that artwork and said it's too sophisticated, we can't do it, it's too sophisticated for our audience. I don't think it's true of British publishers now. I think there are a lot more. They appreciate sophisticated work now. Um, but definitely back in the 90s when I started out, I'd go and see all the French publishers and they were so beautiful and maybe mm. desperate to want work with a French publisher. And I did find a French publisher I worked with for years. I used to work with um, Bayard Press who make loads oh, and loads yeah. of different magazines for children. That was a really brilliant... They, they take lots of illustrators just starting out and give them like monthly columns in one of their magazines. They've got oh. loads of magazines. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, the answer is... Yeah, there's there's definitely a publisher for you somewhere. Yeah. And if you're not published yet and you, and you can do it, I would really recommend getting a flight to Bologna and going to the Bologna Book Fair. You can take your folio with you. Um, go and make appointments with lots of publishers. Come and see us in 2023. Yes, yeah. come and see us. We'll be there, there doing something or other, won't we? Yeah. We don't know what we're going to do yet, but we will be there. Yeah. It should be a must-do for anyone who wants to do children's book illustration. Mm. I don't think you can really figure out the true scope of the possibilities without going. Mm. You have to go to the Bologna Children's mm. Books Fair to understand the industry. Without any understanding of the industry you want to move into, mm. whether it's editorial, book, corporate, you have to understand. Although I'd say I probably had, had, I was probably 10 years in before I went to the Bologna Book Fair. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need it. <laughs> it's just so exciting yeah, and motivating, it is. isn't it? It is. It's really, I, like you could look at it in two ways. In one way, it's sort of overwhelming because yeah. there's so much stuff. But in another way, some of it is so inspiring. You come back feeling like the, everything is possible. Yeah. It's so exciting. What That's a shot really... in the arm that trip mm. was. We came back with mm. so many inspiring ideas, including mm. setting up Good Ship Illustration. Mm. I came out of that trip. Mm. So your next question, how do you send antisocial vibes when you walk to sea and don't want to be disturbed? Okay, so Walk to Sea is a hashtag that I started about four years ago for drawings made from life in a sketchbook. So when they say, how do I send out antisocial vibes when I'm doing my Walk to Sea? That's what it means. So when I go out with a sketchbook, sometimes I like a chat with people. It's really nice. You have some interesting conversations, but sometimes I just want to get on with a drawing. So I send out antisocial vibes, which are, these are my top tips for how to stop people chatting to you while you're drawing. So I kind of hunch my shoulders so that I'm really hunched over my artwork and people don't want to interrupt me. Wear big earphones, not the little, not the little Apple ones, big earphones so that people can see from a distance. Oh, she, she's got her earphones on. I'd actually have to like knock on her ear if I wanted to talk to her. <laughs> I'd put them off. Them. Would earmuffs work as well? I think they would, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or also, I just I think I've got quite a stern resting face look. Do you think? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, you're making that. I've never seen that one before. <laughs> I wouldn't be tapping you on the other shoulder. Yeah, yeah. I think my, my like my natural resting face says, "Don't talk to me," which is quite handy. <laughs> I think. What about a high vis vest, which says, "Quiet artist at work." Artist at work. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> Drawing in progress. I definitely need that. Drawing in progress. We get a t-shirt with a good chip. Walk to see hashtag Drawing in progress. Do not disturb. <laughs> yeah. If there's any call for it, let us know. We'll try and get them printed. I remember going out to draw in Venice, and you know how Venice gets so packed in high season, all the tourists there. So I got out, got out of bed really early, went down to draw, 
set out all my art and equipment in a big circle around me, sketchbooks, bags, all sorts, in a big circle around me, <laughs> sat in the middle of it and started drawing. And the crowds came and nobody went over the barrier of my stuff. <laughs> they were so polite. Like a special salt circle. Imagine well, yeah. <laughs> like two metres away from you in the centre. Ridiculously large circle hogging up loads of Venice. <laughs> it's amazing what social signals you can give out when people follow the rules, isn't yeah. it? And they just don't question it. Yeah. But I have to tell you about once when I interrupted somebody who was drawing. So um, <laughs> there was a period where after I'd, we'd lived in London, we decided to move up here and we sold the flat in London and stayed with my mum and dad in Darlington a bit while we bought somewhere up here. And in that time in Darlington, uh, my daughter was just a little baby and there were no illustrators in Darlington. It was kind of weird time. And I set out with my daughter in the buggy for a sleep one day and ended up in a cafe got a cup of tea in the cafe just while she snoozed and then I spotted in the corner of the cafe there's a guy drawing and I was so excited I was like he's one of me he's one of me what's he drawing I'm going to go and have a look and I went over and went oh you're drawing what are you drawing and looked and it was like a pornographic fantasy figure of a woman out of his head <laughs> and I was like oh right yeah ah, <laughs> walked off because that kept you away, didn't it? Oh. So, <laughs> if you want to make people go away, then have a picture of a naked lady. Exactly, exactly. So you need offensive to have that. drawing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's so funny how sometimes people will be like in the distance and they'll see me drawing, they'll look over and watch me drawing, and then they'll walk over and have a look and then go say in a really shocked voice, Oh, that's actually quite good. As if there's something about my body that looks like I've been really, really fat. I thought you'd be rubbish. <laughs> oh, I've had that when people are like, oh, you could, you could maybe do this professionally. <laughs> I remember one guy stopped, he, while I was drawing, he kind of lingered behind me for ages, walked off, and then he came back and he went, you know, you should get a camera. I've got one. Look at mine. And just start showing me his camera. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, because like it's easier than drawing. Yeah. Why bother with that drawing thing? Yeah. Oh, that's really funny. So yeah, walk to see the hashtag to do your life. Send your drawings from life from and post on Instagram. Yeah. If you do drawing from life, tag it walk to see, and I try and share them regularly on my stories. I pick my favourite and share them. And that's a really good way for you to find new followers. If you follow the hashtag, you're going to find loads of fellow sketchbookers. So brilliant. I think maybe there's like 60,000 contributions on wow. there now. And it's so amazing. Because it makes your Instagram a nice place to be because you yeah. just see inspiring drawings every single day. Yeah. And you can ask them how ways to stop people coming yeah. to look at your drawings. <laughs> Crowdsourcing the antisocial vibes <laughs> whilst enjoying Walk to See. Well... So, till the next podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. I'll send your message in a bottle in. And if you'd like to learn more about The Good Ship, you can go to www.thegoodshipillustration.com. Um, and we also hang out on Instagram. We're at The Good Ship Illustration. Uh, and yeah, we'll see you later. Brilliant. Bye. 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 Bye.